Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. It's time for episode 35 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. This week, I have a really interesting chat with my good friend, Colin Smith, author, Photoshop trainer, all around good guy. As you'll hear in this upcoming chat with Colin Smith, he and I talk about all kinds of interesting things, technology-wise and creativity and the creative thought process. And let me just tell you a little bit about Colin. He is the founder of Photoshop Cafe, a very popular online community that's received well over 30 million visitors. Colin's authored 20 books and has won numerous awards, including three guru awards at Photoshop World. He's in high demand as speaker at many major industry events, including Adobe Max, WPPI, Imaging USA, and many more. So let's get right to it. Here is my chat with Colin. All right, we're here with Colin Smith. Now, a, long, a lot of times you'll hear someone say things like, I've known this person for a long time, but in, in thinking about this particular chat, I actually, Colin can see this because we're on video, but I actually pulled this out, oh, which was yeah. a, a book that <laughs> Colin and I wrote, co-wrote in 2002 called Photoshop 7 Trade Secrets. So along with two other co-authors, we wrote, I think we actually met after we wrote it didn't we like at photoshop world or something yeah we did we didn't know who each other was and then we're like oh you're the other one that wrote half the book <laughs> that's right it's an interesting way to co-write something where you had never even met and it was before the days of like skype or anything so it was kind of like oh okay yeah we wrote this book together how cool is that but it is kind of cool i was looking through it and thinking gosh it's interesting how this was photoshop 7 how some things have changed so dramatically and yet other things are the same. Like I was looking at the chapter on selections and it's like, yeah, we still use some of those same techniques today, even though things have changed dramatically. So that's kind of interesting. And that leads me to uh, a first question I want to ask you is having conversations with users out there like we do, how how do you deal with when people say, ask questions like, how do I keep up? There's so many new things coming with each new version of of Photoshop and Creative Cloud, how on earth do I try and keep up with everything? What do you do to to help people when they ask that type of question? Well, that's funny you ask that because I just do a shameless self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I am, but um, I have a place on my website, which not many people are aware of, and it's called Super Guides. And it probably doesn't sound like anything, but I've literally been tracking every new feature in Photoshop and Lightroom since Photoshop. I don't know. I, CS maybe or maybe before CS. <laughs> so let's so literally when the new features come out, I do a you know a little thing every every time and put it on there and it's usually pretty quick. So it's not super in, in depth, but it gives people okay here's all the new features and here's where you can find more. So yeah, I'm not trying to sound salesy, but yeah, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's what I do. Now from a strategy standpoint, what would you say? It's okay. So now someone's read the super guide and they're like, okay, I'm getting a a bit of an idea of what the new features are. How would you suggest that someone goes about trying to learn a little more about them? You find out if they're the right features for them, that kind of thing. Um, well, you know, apart from, you know, like the obvious, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. Um, I think it depends on the people, you know, like I know some people like to read um, and some people like to watch videos. So I do written and 
video guides, but as far as like these big old doorstop books that you and I <laughs> used to write, um, you know, I haven't really done that in a while. I remember how to do everything in Photoshop X or whatever it was. And, um, oh my gosh, those things would like, I used to be much more intelligent. I think, <laughs> you know, when you write books, it takes away, <laughs> like kills brain cells. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would, you know, usually that's what I just, you know, I tell people just, you know, go online, see what's there. I mean, of course, they could check out things like your online courses where you have stuff. You know, I have my own courses, of course, on Photoshop Cafe. And um, and really, I just kind of tell people that. But, you know, the most important thing really, though, is um, it's just doing it. It's just getting in there, digging in and, and doing it. Because a lot of people you know, read a lot, they watch a lot of videos and, you know, I'm very thankful for that because you and I make our living doing that. But if you don't do it, you're never actually going to know, you know, because someone demos something to you, you know, like maybe the Adobe Keynote, um, you know, definitely recommend watching that at Adobe Max and stuff. But the thing is, you know, that's, I, I call it a spring-loaded demo, you know, where everything is prepared in advance and it's rehearsed and it's like, okay, I've got 30 seconds to show you right. this feature. That's not really giving you, I mean, it kind of shows you, okay, this is what it does, but it doesn't really tell you, you know, okay, is, what does this feature, how does it really work? That's, that's not the point in those announcements. Um, so I would say, you know, just definitely go online, mm -hmm. uh, Google things, or people follow people like yourself, myself, you know, buddies like Jesus Ramirez, you know, other people, follow them. And, um, and, you know, people that are doing this for a living like us, you know, we're pretty much, you know, we've got our you know, ear to the ground and we're sharing information as it comes out. And then when you find out about something and you want to know more, then, you know, do a search, do a Google search and find out, you know, do some study. And most importantly is, you know, experiment, try it. You know, like um, this morning, I just launched a YouTube video with the warp tool and I discovered things that it did that, you know, you're, you're not necessarily thinking about like doing spheres and doing, you know, cylinders and things like that so when you start experimenting with tools you can find out things maybe it wasn't even designed to do but it works really well for anyway and I, and I think part of that too and it's something that you alluded to which i think is really important is most of us in the industry realized a long time ago that those adobe demonstrations are very carefully planned out to make sure it works really well uh, and sometimes the individual user tries it themselves and goes, huh, that didn't work as well for me as it did for Adobe. It's like, well, yeah, that's because they chose a photograph that they would make sure it really showcased the new feature. But you have to try it yourself and be ready to be prepared for the reality that sometimes it won't always work quite as well as it does in those demos. Right. Yep, definitely. So another sort of follow-up question to that is, uh, I, I'm a believer, I always have been, that, that generally, as humans, we're creatures of habit, and it's no different in Photoshop. Once you start to develop a certain way of doing things, sometimes it can be hard to change, even though like a new feature comes out and everyone's going, oh, you got to try this, you know, whatever it is, select subject or, you know, some new feature, and people are reluctant just because they're so used to doing it a certain way. So like shift to constraints. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to people who are in that kind of boat where they're like, oh, I've heard people talk about this fill in the blank new feature, but I'm so used to doing it a certain way. I think I'll just keep 
keep doing it the way I have? What would you suggest as a kind of a strategy perhaps for them to at least experiment with some of the other new features? That's a great question. And uh, and you're right, we are creatures of habit. And I think what what I would say, because, you know, for, you know, in the example I kind of joked about was, was it just, it was like, might as well call it, you know, shift gate. I mean, it was like <laughs> people, you know, because you're always, you know, for people don't know what we're talking about. When you scale something, it was always unconstrained and you held down the shift key to constrain it forever. And then Adobe in 2019 changed that where it would stay constrained because they assumed that most of the time when people are scaling things, they're not wanting to change the shape, which is true. But all you had to do is hold down the shift key to um, <laughs> make it non-proportional. And, you know, it was just like, it was as if Adobe had just said, you know what, we're not making Photoshop anymore. <laughs> you know, it was like people were just freaked out. And of course, they've addressed that now with, you know, you can change in preferences and whatnot. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of just straight muscle memory. I know when I'm working, I do things by muscle memory. I know I can hit the option command or whatever it is and drag to change the size of the brush, but I don't. I use the left and right bracket keys or the express keys on my walk-on because I'm just so used to that. I think what you're going to do is evaluate a new feature and see, okay, does this feature really help me? Is, it, is this giving me better results? And is it giving me more flexibility with my work? You know, is it non-destructive? Um, and if there's, you know, like a real advantage in it, then it's a matter of reevaluating your workflow and incorporating it into your workflow. If it's something that's just kind of like, you know, it's just kind of a gimmick and it doesn't really do much, you know, like, Lens, what was that lens blur? You know, when you were sharpening the shake, shake reduction. I mean, seriously, no one's ever, you know, if the photo's that bad, just use a different photo. I mean, yeah, <laughs> <you know>? yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but if it's a feature that really does help you, then then learn it. But I do think it's important to look and reevaluate your workflow whenever there's a major paradigm shift. So if it's just mm -hmm. a new feature come out, like, hey, you know, here's a better selection tool, like, you know, um, Photoshop 2020. The object selection is wonderful. I use it all the time. I, I think it's great. As I reach to it first before anything else because it's just like, okay, if this works, it just saved me a whole ton of time. Right. So, but then, then there's things that are paradigm change, like when it went to CC, when camera raw is a filter, um, this fundamentally changed my entire workflow. And actually, now I barely use the adjustment tools inside of Photoshop for a photograph, I just go straight into camera raw, you know, if I'm not sitting in Lightroom. And those adjustments are just right. so much better. You know, like I want to even make a layer look better. I can go into camera raw and get it to look exactly how I want. And it and it's completely non-destructive. It's a great way of working. You know, for people to say, you know what, I've always just used levels and I'm just going to keep using levels. Well, they're missing out on something that's really good. So I, I think it depends, you know, what the tool is like sharpening. Do you use Smart Sharpen? You know, you're supposed to use Smart Sharpen. Are you exporting as, you know, the new export as? I, I still use Safer Web. I mean, you know. So I, I think, you know, if it's giving you a better result, then absolutely, you know, or saving you time. Right. And I think you, you hit on something important there is it's not to say that that levels is not a good approach. It's just there are ways that are probably easier, faster, more accurate, you know, that kind of thing. So it's nothing not to say that you're doing something wrong by using levels, but you could be, I mean, I always tell people, especially beginners, when you look at camera raw, it's so much easier because instead of trying to figure out like, what does curves do? You open camera raw and there's a slider that says exposure. 
And it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I move it to the right. That makes, right. That makes sense. You know, right. it's, it's just easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And there's more controls in Camera Raw that you don't have elsewhere, things that don't currently exist in Photoshop, like dehaze and clarity and things that just would be so much harder to do otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not that I'd never use levels. Sometimes I will, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, sometimes I'll even <gasps> apply it to a layer. You know, if I'm trying to create an effect, I'll just hit Command L because it's so quick. And I know it's something I'm not going to um, do, and I just want to like just push up the contrast or something, or you know. So it's not that these tools are never used. I think it's having access to you know better tools or whatever is the best tool for the job. Right, and I think that's that's a really important statement: best tool for the job. Because I'm sure you've encountered this too, but I meet so many people that get almost I hate to say it, but it's almost like they get hung up on the term workflow, mm. as if. Everything they do, they're going to have an A to Z process that's always the same. You know, I'm going to start mm-hmm. here and then I do this. Well, m- maybe sometimes and maybe if you're taking exactly the same type of photo or you're dealing with the same kind of issue. But to me, half the battle is knowing that I've got camera raw. I've got levels and curves. I've got, you know, whatever it is, I've got various tools at my disposal and I can pick and choose based on the circumstance. And I don't always start here and end here. It, it varies with the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So one of the other things that I think is uh, an interesting to watch in Photoshop is, and I've had this discussion with other people on this podcast, is how when Creative Cloud first came out, I know there were some people that were like making statements like, well, now Adobe isn't going to innovate anymore because they've got our money, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, well, I think that's just not true because I forget who I was talking to about this, but I said it's almost like in their DNA to say, no, we want to innovate. So uh, you were Adobe Max. Uh, did you go to the sneaks where they were showing some of the new technology? I did. I was a little bit late to this one because I was teaching a class right before it. But yeah, I, I got there and I love going to sneaks. It's one of my highlights. So for people that don't even know what we're talking about, just explain a little bit about what, what that means and what kind of things you'd see at a, an event like that. Uh, Sneaks is, is kind of a fun event, but it's also, you know, serious at the same time. I, I can't imagine what it's like, you know, for the engineers, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. I'd be really curious to know. But essentially, um, Sneaks is where, you know, they bring up an Adobe engineer, which in itself is funny because you've got someone that works in a lab and suddenly they're right. in front of 15,000 people. It's just, <laughs> it's just hilarious. But, but they, um, you know, they, they've been working on some amazing things behind the scenes. And some of it's almost like science fiction. And, <laughs> and then they show off, you know, the most amazing, innovative thing that they're working on, whether it could be Photoshop or it could be audio or whatever. And a lot of features have come out of that. You know, D. Hayes was one. Um, you know, we've seen all kinds of amazing things you know the audio thing you know when you say a sentence and suddenly it can make you say anything which is a little scary but um mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but it's also kind of a night of entertainment you know where i think this year paul tranny was uh, hosting it with a comedian or somebody like that it's usually a famous personality on television or whatever and then they kind of make jokes at the engineers and it's funny because engineers you know are so nervous they don't know how to even take a joke at the time and it's just and it's just it's fun it's a fun night <laughs> So is there anything this year in particular that jumped out at you that you were like, oh, my gosh, that's so cool? Oh, man, you put me on the spot when you. Um, 
<laughs> I think the best one was actually happened before I got there because I was a little bit late and there was people talking about some things. But it was it was pretty amazing, you know, that one um, where they were animating all those different things. That was pretty cool. One thing that I always you're talking about the whole situation with the engineers, and I remember the first time I went to Sneaks a few years ago, I I felt so badly for some of these guys. I mean, it was mostly guys. There were some women up there too. But instead of just letting them say here's something that I'm working on and they like have to make them tell the story like imagine you're on a family vacation and you took a, and I'm like oh gosh don't do that to these people they just want to get in the demo and show you the cool stuff not do the whole setup with the whole and this ha- if this ever happens to you now we have a solution for you and it's kind of like oi <laughs> yeah and now you say that actually reminds me of what my favorite one was now I just came to me was the uh, the relighting one so they're taking the pictures because I just remember it's like you're on your family vacation, and here we go. And then you know, like they could click a button and change the lighting in the scene. It was amazing. Yeah, and and so people know some of these things, as you said, do end up in Photoshop. Others are a project they're working on, and but when push comes to shove, it's just not something they're able to actually see the light of day. But what I think is interesting about it is it does show that they are actively behind the scenes trying to come up with cool stuff that's practical that that will actually help us in our our day-to-day stuff in photoshop and that's that's pretty interesting to me to know that again in theory with the creative cloud getting our monthly dollars they don't necessarily need to but they still continue to try and come up with really cool stuff yeah a lot of uh, really cool ai stuff right now it's kind of mind-blowing Oh, that's that's a good thought. I'm glad you mentioned that, but we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first... It's time for the tip of the week. Here's a quick tip. When you're working in tabbed document view, you can change the order of the documents just by dragging the tab. So just drag them left to right, and you'll see that it'll change the display order of your open documents. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. So we're back with Colin Smith. And just before our tip of the week, Colin, you mentioned AI, and that's something I had a note to myself to to talk about. Because I think that's a really interesting thing. There's this technology called Adobe Sensei that you hear them talk about all the time. And it's an interesting development they're working on because in lots of things in Photoshop it's working its way into so that tools and functions become more intelligent so maybe give us an idea of some of the ones you've seen already that have been improved based on the inclusion of this kind of technology okay so uh, so Adobe Sensei basically uh, you know is machine learning so um they they build what what are known as models and these models are trained by you know doing things over and over again and over a certain amount of time they start to recognize things like oh this is a person this is a car this is a dog this is whatever and so then some of the amazing ones are like object selection so you can just grab your selection tool and you just go at the top choose select subject and somehow photoshop knows what the subject should be you know it could be a person it could be a car a dog 
and it's going to select the person. I guess it puts priority on people because that's normally what you're cutting out, um, or or pets or, or whatever. Um, so we'll actually see that subject in there and and make a selection. It's not perfect, but it's definitely a good starting place. Uh, and you can just kind of refine it and, and whatnot. Um, the other one is object selection, which works exactly the same, but all you're doing is creating a marquee essentially and defining the region where you want to look at. So that means if you've got somebody's face, you can select an eye or something like that. Uh, the other one is scaling. You know, we're, we've always had these um, different algorithms for scaling, you know, interpolation, I guess. I had a tech editor on a book once was hung up on the word interpolation. Maybe that's another topic <laughs> for another day, but that was his way of showing his expertise by using that word. Um, <laughs> but interpolation is how, you know, you change this, uh, uh, scale a photo up or down or any image up and down and it has to rebuild those pixels but using um, ai or adobe sensei which is the uh, smart scale 2.0 or whatever it's called um, and what it does is it actually uses ai and actually rebuilds the photograph and the advantage of that is you're not going to get artifacts you know whereas you know when you scale up or down it's like okay what do you do with those extra pixels <laughs> I think one of the other interesting aspects of of the technology behind the scenes and select subject is a good example is that Adobe said in this Photoshop 2020 that the the AI behind select subject had improved and I know I did a a video where I took the same photograph in Photoshop 2019 and did select subject and then did it again in 2020 and it wasn't like night and day but it was definitely better I agree you know there I are agree. little li yeah. little areas where it was like yeah that that got a tighter selection or it didn't in night uh, 2019 it missed a little bit and in 2020 it got it and, and as you said it wasn't perfect but it was a good start. And the fact that they can continue to improve their models so that it does get better. It's not like they have to bring out a new version of Photoshop with new tools. It's just they're working behind the scenes on the technology to make the tools better. Now, the other side of this, and I've seen people that are a little bit scared uh, of what the future holds is that will will we even need to do anything anymore we'll get to the point where we'll open a photograph and there'll just be a big button that says fix it <laughs> and the technology will just like go do 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 and do all the and you go okay i'm done <laughs> what do you think about that like the people's worry that that at it will come a point where it'll be so automatic that we won't need some of these tools anymore. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of already been around forever in movies and, and TV shows, right? You know, Jack Bauer comes up to the guy and it's a blurry picture and there's a license plate at the distance. <laughs> he goes, zoom in, zoom in 5,000%. And it's just a blurry, goes, enhance. And they hit the enhance button and boom, it looks beautiful and sharp. Uh, I'm still looking for that button. I mean, if that button comes right, along, exactly. I'd, I'd be happy. I'd use it. <laughs> but... Um, so, so it's kind of interesting, um, you know, people, we we are, you know, are we going to become obsolete as technology gets better than us? I think, here's the thing, I mean, you've seen, you know, you can give someone as a bad photographer the best camera in the world and it's still going to be a bad photograph. Um, so the, the, the AI can help us do things and get rid of labor-intensive, time-consuming tasks um, which I welcome. I mean, I hate doing repetitive things. Um, so I welcome it for that. But the one thing a computer can't do is be creative. Can't come up, I mean, you know, I say it can't come up with ideas, but it could crowdsource ideas and make suggestions. 
but you know at the end of the day i don't think it's ever gonna replace you know the creative mind because you have look at all the people in the world right now go and be hearts and everyone has access to the same tools but yet some people are creating stuff that is way better than what other people are creating and i think that's that's really the important thing is there's a big difference between sort of the production work where hey anything can automate i'm all for that and the the artistic creative side you know there's always going to be people that will you could hand 20 people five photographs and say make something from this and as you well know you're going to get very different results including some that you'll be like whoa that's amazing what you created i i still see some photograph art uh, photo, photographic artists with photoshop that do things that i just shake my head going how does how does their brain work like i could technically i know how they did it like with layers and stuff but envisioning that end result i sometimes i just don't i don't get it <laughs> now speaking of which um kind of going back in time you're in the early days you won yourself a few uh, a couple of was a couple of photoshop world guru awards uh, back in the day now from what memory serves me correctly there was at least if i'm, I'm pulling back from trying to memory it seems to me you created like a it was like a close-up of an electric guitar basically from scratch am i remembering that correctly it was something something like that yeah and yeah yeah, it was actually, so yeah. talk me through that. I mean, obviously that was different tools and different functions, but from what we were just talking about, the process you went through artistically to say, okay, I've got literally like a blank canvas, but I envision in my head trying to create something. What kind of process would you go through to, to try and end up with a result like that? Well, it's in my book, buy it. Uh, also, you can't get it anymore. It's been out for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, in this case, it's a little bit different. I've done some different ones, some of them out of my mind, uh, like my ray gun I did, but um, ask me about that in a sec. But the uh, the guitar was actually what I call a digital still life. So I actually had the guitar in front of me. So I had um, the guitar on a stand and, uh, and I just, you know, quickly rec recreated it. And it took like two or three hundred hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those things when when artists say only and then they follow it with like something in the hundreds. I'm like, that's not only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what it actually was is it came from something that I've, I did as a child. And I was building models like I, I built, you know, plastic models. And actually a couple of years ago, I did that for my sabbatical. My, you know, I took it between Christmas and New Year off and, and built a model airplane. But it, but it kind of comes from that. It's like um, my name is Smith, which means that it's in my blood to make things. And somehow you know i'm patient and it was just i wanted to create something that was as realistic as possible and so i built the guitar like i was actually making a, a guitar so i created you know first thing i did is i i made the shape of the the body um you know used the pen tool and and created the shape of the body and then i used uh, the lighting effects filter and went and created an alpha channel and painted um, with my Wacom tablet. Actually, it was, yeah, it was a Wacom tablet. That one, the guitar was actually done with my finger on a tra uh, the camera the year before it was done on a trackpad on a laptop. But, um, and then I created knowing that I was using, uh, you know, bump maps. So I knew if it was lighter, it would be higher. If it was darker, it would be lower. So I, so I kind of painted the contour um, in the brush, then applied the lighting effects filter, and then it kind of gave me this like, like almost like a, a 
you know, like like I just uh, forged it. And then I cut it out and then made all the, you know, the holes and everything like that, where I knew the switches and the pickups and everything went. And then I created, the crazy thing is this detail in there that no one sees. I did it for myself. It's stupid. It's pointless. But behind the pickups, I have actually have fabric and stuff. So I put all this detail because I knew if I would put a level of detail that people wouldn't see, it would still somehow come through. And so I did that. Then I built, built all those parts. Um, and then, you know, obviously the neck and the headstock and, you know, um, and then put the strings on and I even textured the strings, you know, for the, the strings that are wound, I created the texture. But then I went back and then when the real realism came is I did a um, shadow highlight pass. So I went and shadowed everything. Then I highlighted everything, but then I went and did a reflection pass. So I looked at, okay, what would be reflecting, put those things in there and then came back for final pass, which was like a, um, a specular pass you know, where I put like, you know, just little bits of light and stuff. So it was going to that obsessive level of detail that kind of, you know, made it very realistic, which, you know, that guitar and, and the camera the year before kind of launched my career. Um, and it wasn't like I was trying to do anything. I was really just doing it for myself. It was just a challenge and it was just something I, I enjoyed. And it was just, I could just really get in the zone, you know, when you're creating a piece, because I, I had a realization Everything I was creating, I was doing in one sitting. Kind of like, you know, what I would do at work. <laughs> and and I was like, you know, what if I don't have to do everything in one sitting? You know, what if I can just work on a little piece of it and then come back? You know, you know, Bert Manu, of course, is the master of that. I mean, he takes him months or years for a piece. Um, but it's such a satisfying thing um, because, you know, even as you're working on it, it's a process. It's coming back and then opening it and then just going, oh, wow. You know, you haven't seen it in a little while, and you're like, wow, this is actually looking pretty good. And then what it does is it puts you in a place, uh, and this is where you really grow, because it puts you in a place where you can't just do something crappy, because you put so much time and everything's done with so much care. You have to use care. You have to use precision. You have to use perfection when you're working on it, and it pushes you. So you do something, and you're like, okay, this looks good, but does it look real? No. You know, this is going to ruin the piece because it's like if you create a piece in one, everybody's eye, you know, it's like a supermodel with a pimple. The eye goes straight to the pimple. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you're like this one piece is not looking right. It's going to ruin the whole piece. You've got to do it again. So, I mean, and, and that's where I learned a lot of my techniques was just doing that and like, OK, this is not working. What What's going to work? And I don't know. I just love that challenge. Now, as you were doing it along the way, did you give yourself any kind of deadlines or was it just literally like I'm finished when I'm finished? It was just I'm finished when I'm finished. And then when I was done, I, I knew I was done. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's that's probably as important a part of the process as anything, because if you're thinking to yourself, oh, this should take me X amount of hours and then it starts taking more to be prepared for that. Unless, of course, it's some project where there is an actual hard deadline but when it's as you're describing something you were doing mostly for yourself then that to me is the beauty of it is that there is no deadline as you can just keep working on yeah, it until yeah. until the day that you open and go yep it's done <laughs> and that's that's the other thing too you know it's different if it's a client job and you've got to get it done um you know because then and i don't know if it's something you've got coming up that you're going to talk about but you know like plugins actions presets all these kind of things are great when I'm working on a client job. But when I did that piece, I didn't use any of those. I didn't use any photos. I didn't use 
Illustrator. I never went out of Photoshop. I didn't use any plugins. Um, I used only the filters that were in Photoshop at the time, which I think it was like Photoshop 6 or something back then. And, um, and then, you know, even when there was faster ways of doing things, because I was doing this piece, it was kind of like a labor of love. I did things longhand. You know, I took my time. It's like, uh, remember that movie uh, Short Circuit and you've got Johnny Five and he's flicking, or maybe I've got the wrong thing. And he's reading all these books really quickly, you know, like can read them. Oh, maybe it was Wally. And he reads the books like, and then he comes to one and it's Pinocchio and he's just reading it one page at a time. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like that. You know, you're not, you're not in a rush. It's not being finished is not the point. It's the process. In fact, you don't want to be finished because you're enjoying it. <laughs> and along and and even though the point of a project like that is not to learn new things by nature, you have to just learn new things along the way because you're like, oh, that was a useful technique I can use for other things in the future. Yeah, and I'm sure I came up a lot of techniques doing that that I don't even remember, um, to be honest. But yeah, but there are some that I use all the time, you know, that I did kind of like, oh, that works really cool. I'll, I'll do that again. Cool. Now, here's a question that I've been asking most people that I chat with just because it's kind of interesting to put people on the spot. And so we're going to imagine for a moment that that something changed in the world and you got a phone call to say, uh, congratulations, you're now the CEO of Adobe and you can do whatever you want. So with that in mind, specifically in the world of Photoshop, if you were in charge, what would be the one or two things you would either change or add or what what would be your first decision as the big boss? Well, I, th I think I'd put the whole Photoshop on an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I had to say that. Um, <laughs> which, which is cool. Um, and I, I have a, you know, a real, you know, stretch goal would be to just put all the programs into one. Uh, so you just have one application that just does everything. Um, but, you know, that's not, not practical. In Photoshop? I mean, it could be tools that you want to see the end of or a, a, a tool that's missing that you think definitely needs to be there. Um, I think I would go crazy with more selection tools, um, particularly for hair. I'd like to see something I would, you know, what would be really nice would be select a mask, like put a full tool set in there so you could do like paths and stuff in there. So when you're cutting out the hair and stuff, the arms are not getting all furry as well, you know, so things like that. Yeah, so maybe really beef that up and just maybe get rid of all the selection tools and just build them all into one, you know, like when you go into camera raw. So you go into camera raw for selections. So you basically go in and you can do all your selections in that one tool. Because I think that would be amazing. That would. That does sound pretty cool. All right. Another suggestion to hand off to Adobe. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners who want to find out more about the kind of stuff you're doing, where's the best spot for them to go and visit? Um, all my stuff has been for many years, you know, since you and I, the OGs of Photoshop, <laughs> my, my website, photoshopcafe.com. I put a new tutorial on there every single week, and um, there's hundreds of tutorials and tips and all kinds of things there. Um, there's the super guides. There's even the old contests we used to do, you know, if you're looking for inspiration. There's a lot of content on there. And it's been, we're actually about to celebrate our 20th anniversary on Photoshop Cafe. Fantastic. And also, um, of course, you know, I have a YouTube channel, Photoshop Cafe. And, um, you know, please subscribe. Um, I, I do a, a video on there each week. And also I'm active on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram all Photoshop Cafe. 
Excellent. Well, thanks, Colin. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. All right, Dave. Thanks. I appreciate it, man. So a big thank you to Colin for taking the time to chat. One thing that didn't come up in our conversation, but is worth noting is Colin has also done a lot of great work in the area of drones and drone photography, including writing a book on that topic. So if you're interested in that, that'd be another reason to check out Colin's website, Photoshop Cafe. Thanks very much for tuning in. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I'm Dave Cross. We'll see you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.